Welcome to Nostalgia Marcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we will look back on the pop cultural ephemera that remains in our cultural zeitgeist today and try to understand why we remain enchanted all these years later. This week, we will be revisiting... This podcast is about to become a parody of itself, because at midnight tonight, uh, as we are recording this, the film Weird, the Al Yankovic story starring Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al Yankovic comes out on the Roku channel, and so uh, I thought this would be a perfect moment to revisit uh, our collective love for Weird Al Yankovic. Now, I will get this out of the way up top. I've got a real special treat for you this episode uh, and that is some interview with the man himself, Weird Al Yankovic. How did I swing that? Well, this is actually an old interview of mine. Um, I had the incredible privilege to interview him when I was in college. Uh, this is, would have been back in 99 or maybe 2000 as Al was promoting his uh, album Running With Scissors. And at the time, I was writing a, a humor column for the Daily Bruin. As a journalist, I had only done opinion pieces, so I had no actual journalistic cred. I certainly didn't know anything about um, writing about music or music criticism, and I knew even less about interviewing people. So because of that, uh, when I managed through by sheer force of finagling power to score this interview, uh, which consists of about 17 minutes of uh, phone time with uh, Weird Al, um, I will admit it's not the greatest interview in the world, and that's all on me. Um, that is not on Al, who was uh, an absolute peach uh, through the entire process, um, putting up with my completely uh, inept nonsense. But nevertheless, I think it's pretty cool that I've got this audio of uh, an interview with Weird Al. So I'm going to treat you guys to some of that. Um, I'm probably going to edit it down a little bit to do what I can to minimize the awkwardness. Um, that is the awkwardness on my side. But anyway... Um, wanted to get that out of the way up top so you would know you had this special cool thing coming this episode because um, we don't have a guest, uh, a normal guest, but at least uh, we'll sort of have uh, Al with us as a guest on this episode. Uh, so why Weird Al? Uh, the obvious reason is that everybody kind of loves Weird Al. Uh, I've yet to meet a person who dislikes Weird Al, and he has been a collective part of our just our comedic fabric here in America for uh, almost 40 years. And I, I, looking back on it and trying to understand why that is, which is, of course, the remit of this podcast, you know, why do we still care about Weird Al Yankovic uh, all these years later? And it's because he never really went away. And he's kind of in uh, in Batman terms. He's uh, he may not be the hero we deserve, but he's the hero we need. Um, our, our society is always in need of being uh, taken down a peg a bit, uh, having the air let out of its tires by someone who's going to sit back and throw spitballs at it. 
And there's a special place for someone like Weird Al because he's doing it musically. So he is immediately taking our, you know, our, our pop culture du jour and rejiggering it to be about sometimes, yes, about food or what's on TV. Um, But often it's his way of holding a mirror up to where we are uh, as a species at that moment in time and letting us really kind of stew in our own, you know, and recognize our own silliness. Uh, and so there, I think there's always a place for someone like that. Uh, now, to get to the, the nuts and bolts, we should probably start where Al started, and that's the Dr. Demento show. Um, Al uh, Yankovic was uh, his high school valedictorian. He graduated at only 16 years old uh, from straight out of Linwood, California. And uh, he went to architecture school, and uh, along the way he picked up a skill for playing the accordion because an accordion player happened to, or I should say an accordion salesman happened upon his house and they bought one. Um, he often joked that, uh, he was not related to the great polka player, Frankie Yankovic, but that his parents felt that there had to be at least one more famous accordion playing Yankovic in the world. So they got him this accordion, uh, the, and of course made him the chick magnet that he ultimately would become with it. Um, his moniker of Weird Al came from his time in the dorms where uh, people just thought he was a little weird. And this is another facet of Weird Al that I think is worth talking about, which is him being a, a bit of a weirdo and kind of being famous and letting that freak flag fly gave permission to young nerds like me and my friends uh, and everyone our age who was a little bit offbeat, had sort of odd interests that maybe, you know, the rest of the, the quote-unquote normal kids weren't into, um, you know, what, what today would be nerds. Um, he gave permission for those kids to feel good about themselves and say, like, you know, it's okay to be silly. It's okay to be into these nerdy things. Don't worry, you'll find your place. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go on through this. Um, but I think that through line is important to kind of keep with us as we go forward. So speaking of weird interests, let's talk about Dr. Demento. Dr. Demento, for those who don't know, was a radio disc jockey, and I think still is. I think he's still on the air somewhere. And his beat was playing novelty records. So mostly funny records, sometimes just weird records, and sometimes records that were funny simply because they were so weird um, that someone would think, hey, I'm going to commit this to vinyl. And uh, so I grew up listening to this show, not live, oddly enough, but in a weird way, because my dad had all of these eight-track tapes that he had um, collected. Eight-track tapes, kids, were this sort of like precursor to cassette tapes that used a piece of magnetic tape on a Mobius strip so you could play something over and over again. Uh, anyway, um, so he had taped Dr. Demento shows off the radio, and it, it would be a special treat for us to go up into the room where the 8-track eight eight player was and listen to these, and I would be treated to um, songs like Dead Puppies Aren't Much Fun, or The Marx Brothers, or Monty Python sometimes. But weirdly enough, I did not get any Yankovic through this because all of these shows he had recorded off of the Dr. Demento show were recorded before Al hit it big. So I actually didn't get to Weird Al Yankovic until later. I got to Weird Al Yankovic through his album Even Worse, uh, which was his uh, parody of Michael Jackson's Bad. 
I remember getting the cassette tape, I believe for Hanukkah uh, that year, and playing it to death and absolutely loving it. Um, but getting back to Demento, Al Yankovic would listen to that show, he would write into that show, and eventually he would send a demo of his first parody, My Bologna, in, into, uh, into that show. And from there, that's where things started to snowball for him. Uh, some of the other stuff on the Dr. Dementor show is worth mentioning because these are sort of antecedents, and you can hear in these earlier novelty records the the seeds that would eventually blossom into Weird Al's career. So uh, there would be songs from guys like Spike Jones and uh, Stan Freeberg and Tom Lehrer, all of whom are worth checking out. Um, but let me play you a little medley of their stuff, and you'll understand pretty quickly why I think these particular songs are important, although these artists are generally important. Give a listen. Oh, once I was wappy, oh, once I was sappy, a sap I was once, no, no. once I was happy, but foul I'm lorn, a lorn I'm foul now, a scion line, a nylons are free, no, no. now I'm forlorn. Ooh. Like an old goat. Oh, no, not a goat. That's an animal. <laughs> like an old coat that is tornered and tat, a teetered and tummed, a tattered and tip, a tap with a toupee, a rip. Ooh. Yeah, well, tough. I'll take my bongos and go, man, because the whole thing is like bugging me anyhow. Yeah, well, wait a minute. I won't no, shout. I'm no, I'm cutting, man, no. like I didn't want to make this gig in the first place. No, no, wait a minute. I'd be soft. Yeah? Well, then back off from me, man. It's too piercing. Okay. How's this? Too loud, man. Okay. Too loud, man. I can still hear you. Would you mind leaving the room? Okay. Crazy. Daylight come and we wander home. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, from actinium, and indium, and gallium. And iodine and thorium and thulium and thallium. There's yttrium, ytterbium, actinium, rubidium, and boron, gadolinium, niobium, iridium, and strontium, and silicon, and silver, and samarium, and bismuth, bromine, lithium, beryllium, and barium. What do these three songs have in common? They're all songs that take existing popular music and reinterpolate it for comedic effects. So you've got Spike Jones having this person try to get through the old uh, standard song, The Man on the Flying Trapeze. You've got Stan Freeberg mocking kind of uh, uh, Harry Belafonte's Deo uh, for being such a loud and sort of screamy chorus. And then you've got uh, Tom Lehrer taking uh, a modern major general, uh, the Gilbert and Sullivan song, and doing what Weird Al would do, writing new lyrics for it. So he took the chemical elements and made that uh, a song. It's pretty obvious listening to stuff like this 
why a steady diet of Dr. Demento would lead Weird Al to create his own music. Uh, and of course, as you heard at the beginning of this podcast, his first big breakthrough hit was Eat It. Eat It uh, is really important in Weird Al's career, not just because it was the, the launching point, but because it was the right song at the right moment. Uh, you know, Go back to our episode on Thriller to look at why that album was such this unbelievable monster hit. So Weird Al hitched his wagon, essentially, hitched a ride on the biggest rocket ship in the world, Michael Jackson's exploding career. So Thriller was an album that, as we talked about in that episode, basically lasted as it became the most popular album of all, all time. It dominated the charts from the end of 1982 all the way through the middle of 1984. Uh, so when Al comes along and does eat it, uh, you know, it's it, it's very much at the forefront of everyone's mind. And not only is eat it funny on its own just to listen to, because it, you know, again, it apes the sound of the Michael Jackson original perfectly with a very ludicrous um, concept. But the video is what really takes it to another level. Again, you've got the nascent MTV here, only two, three years old, and it gives Al an opportunity to dominate that without much competi uh, competition by having this video that you know allows where he comedically does so many things that are in the original Eda video, not just the clothes, but the dance moves, uh, and uh, tweak all these little things perfectly. Um, that is you know, the, the essence of what Weird Al does. And if you had to show someone one Weird Al thing to try and explain what he is, you can't do much uh, better than eat it. And from there, things really spiraled for him. He had a series of hits. Um, and then he had to do what a lot of artists had to do. They kind of had to reinvent themselves. Um, the, the first big album... Uh, was in 3D. He had had an earlier album, just self-titled, that had uh, a lot of his early parodies on it. Uh, I Love Rocky Road. Um, uh, again, My Bologna, Another One Rides the Bus. These, these very early hits for him. I should mention, by the way, I'm only going to get to some of these. I know he's got a million songs, and if I miss your favorite, I'm sorry, um, but there's a lot of ground to cover here. So, Edith comes along, is followed up by Dare to be Stupid, which is full of bangers itself. That's got Yoda on it, his parody of Lola by the Kinks. Um, but then his follow-up to that, Polka Party, is not such a big hit. And then he does his movie, UHF. Now, I'm a big old nerd. I actually saw UHF in the theater. But it got crushed by its competition because that was the summer of 1989. One of the biggest summers for movies ever. You're going up against Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. You're going up against Tim Burton's Batman. Just a bunch of heavy, heavy movies that this movie kind of got lost in the shuffle, which was a kind of a, a really, it's really kind of unfortunate because that movie is so funny. It is full of not only just great parodies of stuff, um, but it is. Uh, it's just a fun little 80s story, and there's so many weird bits in it that uh, audience, test audiences loved it. They figured they were going to be doing riding high on it. But again, it just happened to fall between the cracks of all this major competition. Um, before we go too much farther into Al's career in UH, uh, from UHF forward, 
Um, I did want to play a clip of fat. Um, fat is important because, again, this was, uh, for me, my entree into Weird Al, uh, listening to Even Worse, the album that that's from. But it was a repeat success in that you know, Al was once again hitching his wagon to Michael Jackson, doing another parody related to food. But damn if it isn't also very, very funny. Take a listen to Fat. When you only have seconds, I'm having 20 thirds. When I go to get my shoe shine, I gotta take their word because I'm fat. I'm fat. Share my own way back. You know I'm fat. I'm fat. You know it. You know I'm fat. I'm fat. You know it. You know I'm a shadow wave of 42 pounds. Let me tell you once again who's fat. Why do I bring up fat in particular? Yes, it's it's funny, and again, the video um, perfectly mirrors the Michael Jackson original. Um, but it's going to become important in a little bit when we get to Al's Renaissance uh, in the early '90s. So, again, UHF was a bit of a disappointment. I do want to play one clip of it though, also, um, just because it's kind of funny. But Again, the movie, not only does it have parodies and it has this story, it has that undercurrent where uh, Weird Al is holding up a mirror to our society, where it is at that moment, and kind of the the things we're obsessed with. Now, the story of UHF is about uh, a character played by Al uh, uh, named George Newman, who is a listless daydreamer and is, uh, by a stroke of luck, uh, gifted the keys to a UHF uh, station, U62, and he proceeds to try and make something out of it. So a lot of the comedic juice of the movie is them, uh, you know, yes, parodying things that were popular at the time. The the content of the U62 station is funny in and of itself. You've also got uh, some great performances from people who would go on to be very famous. You have got Fran Drescher uh, in there, uh, Michael Richards before Seinfeld, giving a crazy performance as the janitor Stanley Spadowski who uh, becomes the star of the network he you know his weird goofy childishness becomes the perfect um, formula for a successful child's enter- children's entertainer so his show becomes the linchpin of the network um, but I wanted to play this clip because one it's uh, it's part of weird Al's performance personally as as George Newman um, but this is a commercial for his show. Uh, within the movie called Town Talk, which is essentially a parody of Geraldo and other talk shows of the day. Take a listen. George Newman. He starts where the others stop. Sex with furniture. What do you think? The world watched in amazement as he unlocked the mysteries of Al Capone's glove compartment. Uh Uh-huh. He blew the lid off Satanism. Look, all I was trying to say... Oh, shut up, you pinhead! You make me sick! Sometimes shocking, always controversial, he deals with topics that the other talk shows are afraid to touch. He pries, he pokes, he digs deep. He gets the answers, he gets the facts, and most of all, he gets the ratings. Lesbian Nazi hookers abducted by UFOs and forced into weight loss programs. All this week on Town Talk. Again, a a really uh, uh, just 
funny performance and just so much funny weird stuff in that movie. I'd love to play more clips of it, but a lot of the jokes are very visual and won't work on a podcast. Um, but one cool thing about UHF is that it was, in a roundabout way, instrumental for Al becoming popular, again, rising like a phoenix from the ashes in the early 90s. Because his girlfriend in the movie is played by Victoria Jackson, who was on Saturday Night Live in the early 90s at the moment when Nirvana uh, turned the music world upside down with Nevermind. And Al being the astute uh, uh, guy with just this keen uh, sense for the pulse of pop culture, recognized Smells Like Teen Spirit as, you know, not only this watershed moment in musical history, which, man, we could do a whole episode on Nirvana and why that song is so important. But he recognized that it was, you know, this musical sea change and decided, I want to do a parody of it. But as is his... M.O., he would always want to get the permission of the artist he was going to parody first um, to avoid any conflicts. More on that later. But he um, he reached out through Victoria Jackson because he knew that Nirvana was going to be on SNL. That was his opportunity to try and get to them to get their permission. And he eventually got Kurt Cobain on the phone and told him he wanted to do Smells Like Teen Spirit. Um Kurt Cobain's concern was that he basically said, is it going to be about food? And uh, Al said, no, it's going to be about how nobody can understand any of your lyrics. Uh, And so Kurt Cobain said, okay. And the rest is history. Uh, Here's a little bit of Smells Like Nirvana. song and its video once again put Weird Al back on top and uh, uh, he claims that he was told by Nirvana's management later on that Smells Like Nirvana caused uh, sales of the original album Nevermind to jump by a million. Um, They they literally they got what he would jokingly refer to later as the Yankovic bump. Um, But there is some truth to that, that, that Weird Al parodying your song would help immortalize it and help raise your stature. Uh, and this certainly raised Al's stature. It, you know, again, put him back in on the front lines of pop culture. Uh, throughout this time, he continued to do other projects. Like he would do things called Al TV, where he would take over MTV for say two hours and play some of his videos and other funny bits. Um, those bits also started making their way in his concerts. I've seen Al in concert three times. Uh, this was my very first concert, seeing the Off the Deep End tour. That is the tour that went with Smells Like Teen Spirit. Uh, I saw him again for the Running With Scissors tour. That was a very kind uh, gesture that, uh, as a result of me doing that interview I mentioned earlier, I was gifted two tickets to come see him, I believe at the Greek uh, in Los Angeles. And uh, more recently, I saw what he would call his ill-advised vanity tour, where he would be 
playing songs that were not the parodies, but the original material, which I'm going to talk about now. Uh, the original material on his albums, for me, is actually the selling point. The parodies, which most people know him for, are probably about maybe one-third of Weird Al's output. Um, the other two-thirds of the album are not parodies, uh, at least not direct parodies where a song is basically has a one set of lyrics uh, stripped away and Weird Al's lyrics inserted into it. Um, a lot of the songs are what uh, he refers to as style parodies or pastiches, where he will do a song that is very much evoking the style of a particular artist while not actually being an in, you know, a duplicate of an individual song. So uh, I, those are my favorites. It's always fun to listen to them and try and figure out, oh, who's, who's he doing here? So uh, let me play a medley of those. just heard uh you had dare to be stupid which is of course a a, uh, a pastiche of devo you've got frank's 2000 inch tv which is uh kind of a mid-period rem song uh you've got bob which is of course bob dylan and that's a particularly awesome song because the whole thing is just palindromes uh it's really fun and then that last one was pancreas which is um, the Beach Boys, and very specifically their uh, their album Smile. Uh, so that last one is a bit of a, a favorite of mine uh, for personal reasons in that it seems to be this weird nexus of things my dad loved. 
uh, or loves. He's still alive. Uh, but uh, he, for some reason, he, he very much loves the Beach Boys. And he really likes making jokes about the pancreas. So uh, when I heard this song, I was like, oh, my God. It's, it's as if, you know, Weird Al uh, just borrowed part of my dad's brain for inspiration to make this thing. Because it sounds like a song made only for him. Um, but I do like that one a lot. But yeah, a lot of the songs in the album are these kinds of songs where they, again, a, a an artist is being lightly satirized in a different way rather than an individual song. Uh, the other thing that takes up, uh, there's always one of on at least every album, is uh, is a polka medley. Because Weird Al's got to show off those sweet, sweet accordion skills. And this is another way of sort of like, well, you know, when you hear all these po- songs that are popular, there's going to be so many top 10 songs between the last weird album and the next one that you go, Oh, I really wish I would, I would hear him take on and parody this song or that song. And there's only so many he can do. And these medleys are a great, great way to kind of go like, well, I can't parody all of these things, but I can kind of, you know, just kind of lay my hand on them just one little bit at a time. So this is uh, a little bit of polka your eyes out. uh, The one medley from off the deep end. Here you go. The love shack is a little old place where we can get together. Love shack, baby. Love shack, baby. Love shack. Hey. Pump up the jam. Pump up the jam. Pump up the jam. Pump it up. Again, these are just really fun uh, ways to kind of allow Al to touch on all of these songs that he can't get to in uh, an individual parody form. At least they're there on the album represented in some way. Now, what's really cool is when uh, when you would see Al in concert, he would do one of these polka medleys, uh, whatever the current one was, and behind him on the screen, he would have a music video, or rather the 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 snippets of the music videos that corresponded to the songs that were in the medley and they would be sped up or slowed down as need be so that essentially Al would be playing his polka that would be lip synced with the, the original music videos uh, up on the screen behind him. It was a really fun way of, uh, again, bringing those artists into the the show without them actually being there or being directly parodied. So um, really, really fun stuff. The other cool thing is I mentioned there were these segments that were on Al TV that were also used in Weird Al's concerts because one of the things the concerts would feature is a lot of costume changes. So Al would, you know, run into the back. They would, uh, you know, change him to be a costume that kind of fit whatever the next song was going to be. Say if he was going to do Dare to Be Stupid, they'd put him in like a Devo jumpsuit. Not just him, but the rest of his band. And that kind of costume change takes time. So on occasion, to kind of cover those uh, periods for costume changes, they would show the audience uh, a little video clip. Uh, one of my favorite ones was these uh, fake interviews Al would do with other celebrities. He would take footage from an interview with somebody else and insert himself asking questions uh, and then using their clips for the answers. Um, here's one of my personal favorites. This is Al, quote-unquote, interviewing Ozzy Osbourne, 
Take a listen to this. I don't know, Ozzy. I, I don't think this interview is going very well. well what, tell me what you want me to Wait. say. Okay, we can do that. Um, let's see. Say lippy lippy or pipey sinking. Lippy lippy or pipey sinking. Now say, hey ma, pass the hammy sink. Now what the hell is hammy sink? Come on, you're not playing right. Okay, now go like this. Now mumble something completely incoherent. I mean, they've even they've even into great. Ozzy really is a good sport for going along with that. Um, so um, let me talk a little bit then about the mid-90s because we're, we're, we're getting to a point where a big uh, you know, reemergence happened again with uh, his album Bad Hair Day. This is a, uh, a, 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 the album that featured Amish Paradise, one of his biggest hits, a parody of Coolio's Gangsta's Paradise. Coolio, unfortunately, at the time, got real bent out of shape. He felt like he, you know, was not consulted and you know was not happy with this parody. You know, Al maintains that he did talk to Coolio's representatives in some capacity, and he was led to believe that Coolio was on board. So it was a misunderstanding, and the two eventually smoothed things over. Um, but it was a little bit of a, a to do at the time. Uh, part of that was just because of you know the. Uh, Start, starting to die down East Coast, West Coast rap feuds and things like that. And you hear about all these you know, uh, hip-hop artists being you know, really, really angry towards each other and uh, occasionally violent towards each other. Uh, and you know, it's like, weird Al? You know, <laughs> who's the odd man out in that? Um, you know, just, there's no reason to think that anyone could actually be that mad at, uh, at Weird Al. Uh, especially when the, the, the thing was a huge hit. And also... Coolio kind of didn't have a leg to stand on because Gangsta's Paradise is itself heavily sampling a Stevie Wonder tune, Pastime Paradise, which um, kind of makes it a little harder for him to, to say, well, you're taking my song, which, you know, half of your song was written by Stevie Wonder. How mad could you be? But uh, the song itself is incredibly funny. And so I've got to play a little clip of Amish Paradise, too. Here you go. Impaired. There's no phone, no lights, no motor car, not a single luxury. Like Robinson Crusoe, it's as primitive as can be. We've been spending most of our lives living in an Amish paradise. We're just plain and simple guys living in an Amish paradise. There's no time for sin. Again, it works because you've just got this great juxtaposition of you know this you know super hard song about how tough life is in the hood, um, and you're doing that through the lens of you know probably the most pacifist uh, you know gentle peoples there have ever been, um, the Amish, and they're they're a good target because the odds of them actually hearing the song are extremely low, uh, unless they're on I guess some sort of Weird Al based Rumspringa. Uh, the other thing I want to highlight on that appears on all of Al's albums, uh, or I should say appear from time to time are song parodies that are not about what is currently burning up the charts. Um, there are occasionally times where, uh, Al, as time went on, got the, 
the itch to parody something that was older, maybe because the song itself was such a good match for the subject matter. It didn't matter that it was like a classic rock tune or, uh, again, something that was, uh, you know, going to be on the oldie station. But I'm going to play you a medley of those. And, of course, you will instantly recognize what they are. Uh, here you go. Park. Uh, you've got uh, the saga begins, which is of course taking Don McLean's American Pie and making it about the Phantom Menace. Probably uh, the only thing that makes the Phantom Menace sound really great in retrospect. That that's filtered through the lens of that song. It sounds like a great movie. Uh, and then uh, you've got, of course, uh, the original Tobey Maguire uh, Spider-Man as uh, ode to a superhero, which is a redone version of Billy Joel's Piano Man. Um, I like seeing these kinds of things emerge because as you listen to Al's music over time, there's a confidence that kind of grows and grows where, you know, he, you can tell he's thinking to himself, well, I realize that I'm essentially, uh, throwing away the opportunity to make this, uh, Phantom Menace song about something current from 1999 by using this song from the seventies, but it fits so well. Um, that it's hard to imagine that any other current song in 1999 would have worked. Uh, as I mentioned before, 1999 is where I, uh, uh, I got to interview Weird Al. We'll hear that later. Um, but that was a really special emotional thing for me to be able to do that, just sort of realize this childhood dream of uh, talking to one of my idols. And I found out from kind of talking to other Weird Al fans that you know, being quote unquote weird uh, inspired them to feel more comfortable about being a bit of a weirdo themselves. Uh, I really wanted to get my buddy Darren onto this podcast. Unfortunately, he's, uh, he's uh, indisposed with uh, taking care of uh, uh, child uh, children's and such, you know, small people Uh, I can talk. And, um, uh, but he's a huge weird Al fan. And I wanted to call out a couple of things he did. Um, in his fandom. One, when he was a kid, he did a, a lip sync to Eat It in a talent show. But then when I got to know him through uh, doing improv and stuff, we uh, we did these uh, video contests among ourselves. And when it came, when the, the, the theme of the contest was do a music video, he did his own version of Weird Al. 
Uh, and so uh, as a tribute to my buddy, I just wanted to play a little bit of this. I'm sure you'll recognize exactly what it's uh, parodying in a minute. Behind the microphone I stand, Hammy Expression. I'm known as Uncle Milty and Mr. Television. It's Tuesday, 8 p.m. You rush to join me on my Texaco program. Caught your attention. I'm Milton Burl and I like it. My shtick is very slapstick. I'm Milton Burl, I'm a riot. I hope Dean Martin don't mind it. Cause I belong as a guest host doing celebrity roast. Now, I didn't throw this into the podcast just to call out my friend. Uh, or embarrass him. Uh, it's kind of the opposite. I, I wanted to lionize this because, as I said, the, the more I talk to people who you know are big Weird Al fans, I, kind of this interesting common factor is I find a lot of people who've done, you know, they've, they've had an interest in writing their own parodies or they, you know, performed his song in some way or another or they dressed up as him for Halloween. Um, but there's this kind of love and devotion that goes with him um because he's such an easily easy guy to like he's you know his songs are you know i they they find a way to be funny without being dirty um he always finds you know a a really fun angle and everything is so good natured um that you just you want to laugh along and it's hard to imagine there's some there's nothing mean-spirited about it which is a a, quite a tightrope to walk when a lot of your shtick is making fun of of other people um, and he, but you know, he, again, he does it in such a deft, good natured way, um, that this is the kind of thing he inspires among his fans, including a, a nerd like me, uh, doing a podcast all about Weird Al. And so that kind of brings me to his third Renaissance, w- which was his biggest of all. Um, you know, he had done a few things in the early two thousands. He was doing fine. Um, but in 2006, he released his album straight out of Linwood with the lead-off single being White and Nerdy. Uh, take a listen to a little of White and Nerdy. They see me mowing my front lawn I know they're all thinking I'm so white and nerdy Think I'm just too white and nerdy Think I'm just too white and nerdy Can't you see I'm white and nerdy Look at me, I'm white and nerdy I wanna roll with the gangsters But so far they all think I'm too white and nerdy Think I'm just too white and nerdy Think I'm just too white and Got skills, I'm a champion of D&D MC Escher, that's my favorite MC Keep your 40 out, just have an Earl Grey tea My rims never spin To the contrary You'll find it there quite stationary All of my action figures are cherry Stephen Hawking's in my library My MySpace page is all totally pimped out Got people begging for my time What you just heard is Weird Al's biggest hit of his entire career His only top 10 hit Despite having several Grammys and being well regarded And having plenty of album sales I think he has six platinum records um, he had never had an actual top 10 single, even with Eat It, uh, until this point. Um, and I think that point ties with the earlier point that I was making about his nerdy fandom. Um, by the time 
white and nerdy comes out in 2006, you had a generation of kids like me who grew up as nerds loving Weird Al. And so this song felt like a celebration of everything that had come before it. it was It's not only a dead-on parody. It's incredibly funny. It's very skillful because Al's rapping in it is you know very fast. Um, he's crammed it full of all of these jokes. Um, it's it's a really exceptional parody just by itself, but because of its subject matter, um, it's it's such a, a celebration of of his nerdiness and and the nerdiness of all of his fans that you kind of you just you know, you can't help but like it. Um, it's a bop and it. It almost has, I mean, I think it eclipses the original song, as occasionally happens. Sometimes one of his parodies is so good that you kind of forget the original. Um, one of his, my favorite parodies of his is I Lost on Jeopardy. I thought that was an original song for years until I finally stumbled upon uh, the Greg Kine Band original song. Um, simply because, again, I Lost on Jeopardy is you know the, the much more memorable thing. Um and and white and nerdy, I think, is the same way. I mean, maybe there's people out there that have really strong feelings about Chameleonaire and Raiden, uh, the original song, but uh, I, white and nerdy is a really—I uh, don't want to say it's the pinnacle of his career, but it's certainly one of his biggest successes. Um, and he released a few more albums before, kind of—I don't want to say he hung up his spurs in after 2014's mandatory fun. But he had he publicly said, you know, he was kind of done with the system of you know creating these albums for record labels when he felt like, hey, if I feel like putting out a song, uh, I can just record it and do it via iTunes. I can just release one song at a time. I can do whatever the heck I want. Uh, you know, he's gotten to the point where he can write his own ticket any way he likes. And so the last thing he released uh, before uh, the movie was uh, he did a parody, not a parody, a polka medley of Hamilton stuff. And it's really funny to watch, you know, again, a grown-up nerd like uh, like Lin-Manuel Miranda kind of just reduced to being a child watching this icon do his own music back at him as a polka. Um, you've, I can, I've watched interviews with Lin-Manuel Miranda where he talks about it, and you can see that, like, you know, yeah, this guy might be an EGOT or whatever, or, or close to an EGOT, and he's got a Pulitzer, uh, and he's you know, very accomplished, but, you know, the him getting... His stuff done by Weird Al is, you know, for him probably the highlight of his career, um, personally. Just the, the emotional connection he has to Weird Al. This and and I've watched Weird Al now go on a bunch of interviews to promote the, his new movie, uh, his biopic. And what's really striking about it is, you know, he's I watched an interview with, for example, Jimmy Fallon. Uh, he was uh, on uh, Late Night with uh, Seth Meyers. And you watch all of these interviewers talk to him, and they're giddy. You know that these people spend all day talking to, you know, the other the Gwyneth Paltrow's of the world or whatever. But you know, when they get to talk to Weird Al, they're kids again. They're you know, they feel the way I felt when I got to talk to him, which is, you know, oh my god, I'm talking to Weird Al. Your brain starts to go on fire, uh, and you can't function because you he just engenders that kind of affection. Um, there, there's, you know, he feels like because he is the nerd on the outside, you know, poking fun, um, he feels like one of us, you know, he's, he is a hero for, um, that this whole segment of, 
society that feels like, can't we just be good natured and silly all the time? Wouldn't, wouldn't the world be a better place if that's how things were? Uh, if it was the, the weird, according to Al, as uh, his uh, biography uh, is titled. Um, and of course, Weird Al has had a second life through all kinds of other transmedia stuff. He's, uh, he had his own uh, show called The Weird Al Show, which was for kids. Uh, he worked on, um, he had a cartoon show on the, the Disney Channel. It's Milo Murphy's Law, uh, where he voiced the main character and, of course, did the theme song. He's done one-off uh, theme songs here and there. He did the theme to a movie called Spy Hard with Leslie Nielsen. He did the theme to the Captain Underpants movie. Um, so he seems kind of game to do any of these kind of funny things. And, of course, now he has, uh, there's at least one new song on uh, the soundtrack album for uh, his new biopic movie starring Daniel Radcliffe, which I'm very, very excited to watch as soon as it becomes available uh, because that's what's high on my agenda. Um, But it really is hard to put into words how emotional uh, people get when this subject comes up. They feel... Uh, so uh, connected to this person because I think Weird Al is extremely accessible, especially to us weirdos. Um, he is kind of this patron saint of being weird and uh, dad jokes and uh, you know wearing being uncool. You know, like he he made a thing out of these uncool Hawaiian shirts and you know and just sort of his his look the 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 accordion. Um, it all speaks to this feeling that, like, hey, you're going to be all right. It, you know, you, you might get bullied a bit in school for being weird, but it gets better. And you can, you know, make your dreams come true of being silly, uh, and uh, you're going to be just fine. Uh, the, the nerds will beat out the jocks in the end. And um, that is, I think, the, the big lesson of Weird Al. It's been so much – it's been joyful – to study up for this podcast by going back and listening to Weird Al's catalog front to back Um, because there's so much fun in it. It's even, even the weakest material um, still kind of puts a smile on my face because it's done with such a goofy enthusiasm. And uh, that's definitely something I think we just need a lot more of in the world. There's, it's hard to imagine a world without Weird Al Yankovic. In fact, so much so that when uh, in the in the early I'm sorry, in the late 90s and early 2000s when file sharing was a big deal. You had, you know, Napster and LimeWire um and people were trading MP3s with each other in college. You'd find all of these song parodies that would be labeled at, you know, Weird Al title of the song, you know, .mp3. And I would go and I'm like, oh, what's this? A Weird Al song I never heard. What an interesting find. And he would listen to it and you would go, oh, it's not Weird Al. It's somebody else doing a song parody. But because that was something he was so known for, people would just assume, oh, well, it's a song parody. It must be Weird Al and his name would be on that file. Um, I, plenty of other people have done song parodies. It's you know, not unusual. You know, SNL does them from time to time and other comedy sketch groups will do them. Uh, but nobody does it better than Weird Al Yankovic. I don't know that there will ever be another person who does it as well. And, uh, you know, that makes me a little sad that, you know, at some point there's going to be a world without Weird Al in it. And, you know, is there anybody who is capable of picking up that torch and running with it? Um, 
we we need in this world so desperately that kind of silly energy. Someone to again hold the mirror up to our own pomposity and let us just kind of you know remind us we can laugh at ourselves. Um, the 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 world needs Weird Al, and that's why I said at the beginning he's the hero we need, but not the hero we deserve. Uh, there there is just too much fun to be had uh, at our own expense, and we take ourselves so so seriously that it, it almost feels like you know the, we the world will produce a Weird Al Yankovic to to meet that need. Um, so with that, I, I want to, uh, bring this episode to a close. I mean, there's so many weird out things we could be talking about individual songs, uh, that are so funny and what goes into them. But frankly, I couldn't do it justice by just kind of yakking about this stuff. I think the best thing to do is just sit down, um, you know, throw on a weird Al album or put on his videos on YouTube and just have a good time. There's no substitute for the real thing. Um, so again, I want to say thank you. And, um, I'm going to be, uh, throwing it now to myself uh, you know, two decades ago, uh, having a phone conversation with Weird Al. Um, again, I apologize for my own uh, crapulence as an interviewer. Um, I also wanted to let you know the sound quality on this isn't, uh, you know, ideal. I, I didn't record it with the intent of ever playing it for anybody. I, it was recorded so I could take notes because this was going into a, uh, you know, a, a, a written article. So I was going to transcribe it, but I, it wasn't meant for sound quality. But it's certainly good enough. Um, and you can hear how even weird, how much more weird and nasally my voice was at uh, 19 or 20. Um, but, uh, I think there's a lot of really fun, just interchanges with Al, uh, and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, and of course it proves that it even happened because like, who knows, maybe no one would have believed me if I didn't have it on tape. So, um, here you go. Uh, uh, enjoy your time, uh, listening to a little bit of secret, uh, heretofore unheard Weird Al Yankovic. Hello? Hey, this is Duck. This is? Hey, it's Al Yankovic. Hi. Um, well, uh, this is going to be an interview for the UCLA Daily Bruin. Okay. And uh, it's going to be in a humor column, so there's no need to take anything I say seriously or give me a straight answer at all. <laughs> okay. Um, I guess I'm going to start off uh, with some questions about your childhood, I guess. All right. Um, do you have any sort of, uh, did you have any recurring dreams as a kid? Oh, uh, well, the only dreams that I would have would revolve around me, you know, flying about three feet off the ground, and I'd be surrounded by, by, by kiwis and bunny rabbits. I have no idea what that means. When did you first realize that you were funny? It was about half an hour ago. I, I just, I always suspected it, but I didn't really realize it until, until then. Um, were, were you a performer when you were a kid? Uh, school plays or just, you know, doing sort of shows in your living room for your family, that kind of thing? Um, I, I got to uh, play accordion for my uh, my cousin's wedding. That, that was my first real professional gig, and it was a huge hit. I knew I knew then that I had a career ahead of me. Are there any world events which helped to shape your sense of humor? Um, uh, probably the Hindenburg crashing. How did your parents feel when you first came out as weird? Um, I think uh, nobody was more surprised than they were. Uh, you, you were a valedictorian of your high school. Um, what did you talk about in your speech? 
I talked about how the polar ice caps were going to melt and uh, drown us all, and we were all going to die, and I, I ran from the podium yelling and screaming. And I think it made an impression on the, uh, on the gathered masses. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, the songwriting, how you go about doing it. Um, there's a lot of songs which you could obviously choose to parody. How do you choose which ones you want to parody? Basically, I, I tape uh, a Billboard magazine up to a dartboard, and I just throw darts at it until you know, I feel like I've got an album's worth of material. In your mind, what makes a good parody? Um, basically something that, uh, uh, a good candidate for parody is something that's been played about a, a million times on uh, MTV and on, on radio, and, and you're maybe getting just a little tired of hearing it. And that's, a, that's, when, uh, that's when I come into action and, and do, my, do my duty. Uh, what did you do to celebrate your first Grammy? Uh, I had the Grammy affixed to my forehead with wood screws and walked around with it for a couple weeks. Let's see, you uh, said in a little thing in Rolling Stone magazine a couple weeks ago that one of your favorite songs was Hobo Humpin' Slobo Babe by Whale. That's right. Um, could you tell us why? I have, I have no idea why. I saw the video for that and, uh, and uh, it, just, it just did something, it does something to my, my central nervous system. Whenever I hear that song, I just start uh, going, going to spasm start banging into things, so I, I, I guess that's a good thing. Um, I have uh, here the cover of the Hooked on Pocus single, uh, single as it was released in Japan, and uh, it's this cartoon of you with uh, maniacal red eyes, your teeth are melting out of one side of your mouth, uh, there's two springy hands coming out of your neck, one of which is holding a fire-breathing duck, uh, and a plethora of other strange things. Uh, knowing this is how the Japanese see you, how does that make you feel? Um... Yeah, over, over in Japan, I'm referred to as man with melting teeth and spring-like arms. Okay. I think that's that's the literal translation of my name. So you know, it, you know, I, who, who knew? Yeah. Um, do you consider yourself a role model for other fledgling weirdos? Yeah, you know, I I, I keep telling people, you know, take accordion lessons. It, it couldn't hurt. Where do you think comedy comes from, and why is it so important to our daily lives? Comedy really comes from the pancreas. That's the internal organ, I think, that all, all uh, comedy springs from. And, and I, I like to, you know, keep my pancreas in good shape so that I'm able to supply comedy to the world at large. Because you're so well-known as a comedian, do you find that there's a certain pressure for you to be funny all the time? If people come up to me in the grocery store when I'm shopping for broccoli and expect me to be bouncing off the walls and kooky and making jokes, and uh, they, they seem somewhat disappointed when I'm actually human, uh, and, and most of the people that I meet uh, are a lot weirder than I am. They'll be like all over me going, Hey, you must be weird out. You're a kooky guy. Woo! Weird out. Yeah. Hey, nice to meet you. Nice to meet me. All right. Weird out. Woo! Uh, which brings me to my next question. Uh, you probably get a lot of responses from your fans and everything. What's one of the strangest ones you've ever gotten? Responses to, to the fans? No, from the fans. What, you know, things they send you or or uh, just letters or anything like that? Anything strike you as particularly strange? Um, hmm, I get a lot of really bizarre things in the mail. Um, just trying to, uh, but lately what I've been noticing is like a lot of fans are getting Weird Al tattoos, which is flattering, I suppose, but it's just, I, it's kind of, kind of bizarre. I, I tell these people, you know, this, uh, this is, this is gonna last for the rest of your life. Like, oh yeah, man, like, my left arm is a shrine to you. Mm -hmm. Okay, good to know. You've done a lot of uh, really random songs, stuff like uh, Stuck in a Closet with Vanna White, Everything You Know is Wrong, um, recently Albuquerque. 
how do you decide how do you decide what random thing is funnier than another? Like, how do you decide to say a box of one dozen starving crazed weasels instead of a box of a dozen starving crazed snapping turtles? Well, I, I've got a, uh, I, I've developed a, a piece of software called the Randomizer, and uh, it's able to scientifically determine what the most random uh, comedic phrase would be in any given situation. So, you know, and I'm the only one with the software, and it's, it's not for sale. Let's talk about the new album a bit. Um, the video for all of the, all about the Pentiums. Uh, Drew Carey gets down with you in the video. How was that arrangement reached? Uh, I was hanging out with him at the House of Blues, and because uh, because Drew and I we you know, we go bowling on occasion. We're down. We hang. And uh, I, I mentioned that I was doing some new video for my album, and he, he said uh, offhandedly that he wouldn't mind doing a cameo. So I I being the uh, uh, kind of uh, guy that I am, I took him up on his offer. Your guitarist is Jim West. Uh, how did you feel about Will Smith's portrayal of him? I thought uh, he did a very accurate portrayal. I, uh, I saw the movie for the first time a few weeks ago, and I thought, he looks, he is, acts just like my guitar player. It's uncanny. Uh, you've done uh, parodies of songs like La Bamba, MacArthur Park, and um, American Pie. What, what prompts you to dip into the classic rock vault? Um, well, I like to go old school, you know, every, every now and then. I mean, you know, as much as... Uh, I, I could do uh, uh, the Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears till the cows come home. You know, every every now and then I just have to reach into my uh, the recesses of my memory and, and pull a song out of out of my childhood and uh, and and do a, a song like American Pie because you know I, I like to kick it with the old school G's. Okay. Boy. According to your horoscope for today, I should avoid any Virgos or Leos with the Ebola virus, and I am the true lord of the dance, no matter what those idiots at work say. Uh, just how do you divine these horoscopes? Um, well, I, I just read them right out of the paper, you know, what can I say? Mm -hmm. Um, one of my favorite parodies on the album is, uh, Pretty Fly for a Rabbi. Uh, just how fly is your rabbi? Uh, well, I don't really have a rabbi personally, but if I did, he would be the, the most fly. Okay. I, I would, I would, you know, look under the rabbi directory and look for the fly rating. Was the Lumberjack song, um, any inspiration for the truck driving song? Well, I actually started writing the truck driving song, not thinking, not realizing the similarity to the Lumberjack song. And I'm a huge Monty Python fan, so I should have known better. And I was halfway through writing the song when I realized, hmm, this is kind of like the Lumberjack song. And, and I thought, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I'll finish it anyway. What do you uh, have to say to all the other curly-haired accordion-playing polka artists uh, out there? Um, kids, this is dangerous work. Don't try this at home. Leave this to professionals. Thank you very much. What do you feel about the new direction polka is taking? Uh, in particular, gangsta polka. How do you feel about that? The gangsta, you know, it's. I wish all the east side and west side polka players could just all get along. You know, it's really sad what's happening on the streets today. Have you done any of the Hollywood experience? You know, nose jobs, personal trainers, that sort of thing. Um. Actually, whenever I do a a, a live concert, it's kind of like having several thousand personal trainers. Because that, that's like my only real exercise these days is like my two-hour aerobics exercise on stage every night. So it's like having 7,000 personal trainers going, go, 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 go! Speaking of the concerts, uh, you often close with Yoda. Any particular reason? Um, because after after you sing Yoda, what else can you do? There's yes. nowhere to go from there. Okay. Kind of wraps everything up. Puts a little bow on it. Okay. Put in the mail, FedEx. Um, Dips it overnight. What's your favorite memory of college? Um, once I had a really good burrito there. Okay. It was great, I gotta tell you. 
Uh, you used to work in a mail room. What was the funniest thing about that job? <coughs> oh, boy. That was, that was a wacky occupation. Um, the, the, the funniest thing was actually after I stopped working in the mail room because uh, I worked for a radio syndication company and, and part of what I had to do was make deliveries to CBS Records. And while I was uh, in the mail room, I got my record deal and my record label was distributed by CBS. So a few months after I quit, I'd be at CBS Records, you know, walking the halls, doing meetings, and people would be looking at me like, isn't that the delivery guy? What makes you laugh? Uh, being, being strapped down and tickled mercilessly. Does that happen a lot? Every day. But do you pay people to tickle you, or just random people, or...? No, no, people pay me for the privilege. Oh, okay. Um, do any parody ideas come from the artists themselves? Um, most of them do. They they send uh, uh, thought waves mm -hmm. uh, to me, and I I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a I'm a bit of a scanner, so I, I I'm a, a good receptacle for for their vibrations, and uh, they will me to do these parodies, even though many times they don't realize what they're doing. Do you have any plans to do um, any sort of theater, like a, a parody musical of some sort? Um, I. Not a parody per se, but I am uh, working on a, a musical based on the life of Jamie Farr, and it's 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 still in pre-production. It might not be uh, actually uh, a reality for another few decades, but that's that's always been my side project. What's your least favorite song? Um, hmm. It's hard to say because there's such a thin line between love and hate. What is that song from the '70s? Moonlight feels right. I forget who does Starbucks. I forget who, who does it, but it's it's very annoying. You once alleged that uh, Garth Brooks was in reality a 73-year-old first-generation Japanese gardener named Hisao Shinagawa. Um, is there any evidence to support that claim? Well, I, again, I got the, the the mental vibrations passed on from me, and I'm pretty sure it was from Garth Brooks, but I, I could be mistaken. Okay. They just have a strong feeling. I mean, I, he's he's done nothing to to prove otherwise to me, okay? That, that's fair. It's well known that there was a lot of uh, bad blood between you and Coolio following the release of Amish Paradise. Uh, to your knowledge, have the Amish done anything to retaliate against you or Coolio? Uh, I've heard rumors of Amish drive-bys, but those haven't been substantiated. Uh, what did Stevie Wonder think of the song? Uh, I'm not sure. He hasn't written many letters lately, so I, I, I couldn't tell you. But uh, uh, I, I've met Stevie Wonder on a few occasions, and he seems to have a pretty pretty good sense of humor, so I would, I would hope that he liked it. Um, okay, you got your major in uh, architecture. What sort of building would you like to design? I would like to design a, a, a giant accordion-shaped building that would expand and contract on a daily basis. <laughs> and uh, what sort of business do you think would go on in that sort of building? Probably, uh, maybe it will be an accordion factory. How ironic! I like that. Um, let's see, do I have anything else that I need to... Let's see, um... I don't know. Do you have any questions? <laughs> yeah, where, where do ice cubes come from? God. Oh, that reminds me. Uh, you once said that all the polka uh, songs that end up in your polka medley, you play them as God intended them. Uh, does God have any other messages about uh, polka to the world? Uh, polka down with your bad self as often as possible. Okay, and I guess my last question is, uh, after you die, what do you want on your tombstone? Uh, my name and the the date of my birth and death. Nothing, no message. 
Well, I think that, you know, there is a message there, but you just have to kind of read into it, read between the lines. Um, okay, I think that covers everything I needed to ask. Um, thank you very much. <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks, Doug. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. So, so what? I'm still a rock star. I've got my rock moves, and I don't need you. And guess what? I'm having more fun. And now that we're done, I'm going to show you tonight. I'm so there you have it, my I'm interview fine. with Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, if you can imagine, it was even more awkward before I edited it down for this. Um, so thank you so much, uh, as always, for uh, joining me on this. If you liked this episode, and you like this podcast, please go to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever it is you get your podcast from and drop us a review. That's always helpful. And uh, if you have thoughts on Weird Al Yankovic or next week's episode, which is all about the Goonies, uh, please tweet it to at NostalgiumPod. Drop us a line there. And uh, until next time, this will be uh, it for this entry in the Nostalgium Arcana. See you next time.